0: Breakthrough 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 breakthrough, breakthrough. You are now listening to Breakthrough News
1: I'm Rania Kallick and you're listening to Dispatches Everybody, I'm Rania Kalik, and this is Dispatches. I have a great guest today to talk about the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and what that means for Afghans in particular. I'm joined by a researcher at the Christian Mickelson Institute, Aziz Hakimi. Hello, Aziz, and welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: So I want to start off by asking you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself um, from where you are in Afghanistan uh, and we can go from there?
0: Okay. Well, uh, um, I've been um, originally from uh, the south. That's where my parents come from. Uh, but I've lived in Kabul. I went to school in Kabul, and uh, I've uh, I've worked there for many years, and I've been in and out. So I haven't lived there sort of uh, throughout uh, throughout my my life there were periods that i went out for studies there were periods when i did a bit of work there and uh and then i left in 2017 and now i live in bergen in norway
1: very cool and what is the situation like now in the area of afghanistan that you come from
0: well where i come from it's uh you know it has been quite uh Rested for 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 many years because that's sort of uh, I mean I'm come from Paktia so it's very close to Host and uh, Paktia and sort of Ghazni and this whole area is basically it used to be Hakhani, uh stronghold so there was quite a lot of uh, fighting that was happening and it still continues to happen. And just like you know, other parts of the country, you've got sort of government presence in in the centre of uh, the provincial capital, but uh, sort of the outlying areas or are deep in deep deep into the countryside, it's insurgent uh, territory, really. Yeah.
1: So fighting continues. What is your so What's your academic and professional background?
0: Well, I've. Uh, I did my doctoral research at uh, the School of Oriental and African Studies, University of London, and my own uh, research was on local militias and mm. what at the time was uh, 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 was known as the African local police. These were sort of uh, government-backed militias uh, trained and often uh, supervised, sometimes by the U.S. Uh, military, they worked quite closely with uh, the Afghan local police. They stood them up, and the idea was that you will have, uh, uh, if you like, proxy forces uh, in the fight against the Taliban. Mm. It's you know, as you probably remember, in 2008, 2009, the insurgency started, sort of, you know, making its presence felt. It start uh, spreading from the south to the center, and then to the north and east and west. Uh, and I did my doctoral research uh, in Wardak, which is quite close to Kabul. And in, when I was uh, doing my research, 2010, 11, and 12. Uh, Warda was really, really, you know, it was not only it was very close to Kabul, but it was also, you know, sort of, uh, very restive. There was quite a lot of fighting. And then I continued my research in the north, in Bagalan and in Kunduz, uh, where, of course, the insurgency spread. And, uh, and so it was sort of a, I simply followed the, followed the Americans and, and, and their programs. As they sort of kept, uh, because it, it started in Wardag as a pilot project, but then they took it to the north and then later on to the south. Yeah, so Ooh, that's all over. Uh, yeah. I mean, at one point it was in thirty-two provinces uh, in, in the country, you know, close to at 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 one point. I mean, the numbers all the time it changed. They changed all the time, but uh, the government figures and the U.S. military figures. Uh, talked uh, of, uh, you know, talked about 30 to 32,000 uh, uh, armed uh, men, um, mm. you know, all over the country in groups of, uh, you know, small groups probably, you know, a couple of uh, dozen, and uh, so they were not, uh, you know, these were not sort of big uh, formations. They were small units in remote villages, often uh, badly paid. Badly armed uh, um, but nonetheless uh, in totality uh, an important uh, an important uh, uh, element of sort of this broad uh, effort both by the by the US and NATO forces as well as the African government to uh, s- sort of uh, uh, keep the Taliban, if you like at bay and uh, and secure secure ma- the major population centers really.
1: And it worked? I mean, it worked sometimes, it didn't work other times?
0: Well, I mean, that's a difficult question, really, to answer. (laughs) because There's uh, no
1: one answer, right? uh,
0: No, because it all depended on the local context. In some places, they were quite uh, effective, if you like, in terms of providing uh, a, a modicum of security. In other places, for example, in Kunduz and in Barlan, uh, instead of protecting the local population, they became the predators. Mm. Uh, and sometimes, because you know different groups were armed, instead of fighting the Taliban, they would fight each other for control mm. of territory and 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 influence and and power. So, you know, it was a patchwork. It was, uh, you know, it, it in every situation. And I, I studied it, uh, the Afghan local police in three provinces and in each province the dynamics were different, the, the conflict history was different, the power relations were different. And, uh, you know, these groups, uh, the way they emerged, the way they also evolved over time, the kind of relationship of course they had with power holders in Kabul, uh, you know, So the dynamics were very different, and the outcomes were quite different.
1: Of course, can you tell us a little bit about the work you did with NGOs in Afghanistan?
0: Well, I mean, I started as a, I started work. uh, I worked with the Red Cross and the International Committee of the Red Cross back in the Taliban days. Really, you know, in Herat, on on sort of the border with Iran. uh, So quite a lot of my work was meeting Taliban. uh, uh, authorities at the time going to prisons because, you know, as you probably know, the Red Cross mandate is to, uh, to visit, uh, prisoners of war and political detainees. Uh, uh, uh the Red Cross also ran refugee camps and internally displaced camps. So that was my initiation, if you like, into the world of NGOs and humanitarian action. Mm. And later on, uh, you know, I worked a bit for the uh, UN mission in Afghanistan. Uh, I also run a local uh, mm. media group, radio and uh, and print media, and uh, also work for the Afghan government actually, yeah, for a few years. So, it's uh, I've been, uh, if you like, uh, all over the place, really.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Um, that's really interesting about the media. You still run the media outlet now?
0: I don't. I mean, I uh, I oh, was okay. there for a few years. I uh, but then I left. Uh, you know, I went to the UK and I pursued my studies, but so uh, written... didn't return back. <laughs>
1: You've uh, you've written in the past about the failures of the U.S. military counterinsurgency efforts to understand and influence Afghan culture. Can you describe that?
0: Well, I mean, it was uh, I did it in the context, of course, of my doctoral research on the Afghan local police. At the time, there was this assumption that uh, there, you know, something uh, an authentic, if you like, uh, uh, and and. Uh, uh, an authentic, uh, how should I explain it to you? Let me see. Uh, there existed uh, some sort of an authentic tribal or cultural uh, uh, understanding uh, among the Pashtuns, uh, you know, the Arabaki concept uh, that, you know, local uh, tribes uh, protected, provided their own security and they had their own understanding and, and organization of how to protect themselves uh, so that idea which you know it's uh, uh it has uh, at times you know uh, even uh during the uh, early uh, 20th century uh, african royal governments relied on sort of these kind of arrangements uh where the center would provide some sort of support and uh, and uh, and have local sort of uh, tribal forces that protected say you know, natural resources such as forests mm-hmm. they were not necessarily there to uh, uh, you know secure if you like a village or secure a district or or or, or, or fight on behalf of the government they, they were very much a sort of a local uh, uh, a local sheriff if you like that uh, you know tried to resolve local disputes or or put a cap on conflict so it didn't become it didn't become uh, it didn't spread uh, but the Americans of course uh, 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 with very sort of a, how should I say uh, almost a oriental understanding of Afghanistan uh, took that and and, and, and then uh, run with it uh, uh, and and try to, to try to sort of, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, try to make use of it for their own agendas. Of course, the agenda was to f- find a local proxy force that could fight the Taliban. Uh, I mean, I described this in in one uh, in a paper that I wrote in 2013, uh, the brutalization of the war. So what you got, basically, if you, the Americans... Uh, funded these local militias, um, named them the Afghan local police. But the idea was to, uh, for them to fight the, the Taliban so that the Americans didn't have to, so that, you know, this was Afghan lives were cheap and uh, they were given, you know, a little bit of support uh, and uh, because, of course, they were already, and in the past they had uh, been either allied with the Taliban or fought the Taliban or before that during the Soviet uh, uh, period, when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, you know, these groups uh, were there, you know, they were, they didn't come out, I mean, they were always there, they always changed sort of loyalties, they put on different names, uh, uh, so, you know, in one way or another, they were involved in local power struggles, so when the Americans came and sort of gave money to one group, uh, and you know uh, that, that sort of tipped the balance of power and got to use them against the Taliban for a period uh, you know it was uh, it it worked for a while but as that support was withdrawn you know the dynamics again changed and that was uh, the kind of uh, uh, the kind of, uh, um, uh, it, and in that sense, you know, it it wasn't uh, effective. It wasn't. Mm. Uh, it was a stopgap measure, really. I mean, the idea was, you would fund these local militias, uh, uh, you would get them to fight the Taliban. It would g- it gave the Americans and NATO forces some breathing space in order to then focus on training the Afghan army and the Afghan police, the national army and the national police. Uh, and that was the kind. That was the kind of thinking. And the idea was that you know, once they had served their purpose, they would be stood down. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, once you arm, a, once you arm local, uh, you know, local forces, they take a life of their own and they get involved mm-hmm. in local power struggles. And it's not easy. I mean, disarmament in Afghanistan has never really been worked, even under the auspices of the UN. You know, in the early 2001 and 2002 or three, mm. uh, some you know old weapons were were brought in and uh, they were handed in. But uh, uh, in that kind of environment, would, would, when when you know everybody was insecure, uh, it, it just didn't make sense for a lot of armed groups to give up their weapons and uh, sort of relinquish power. So they kept their weapons and. And when when, you know, the Americans came around and wanted to give money (laughs) to just volunteer. Uh, Yeah,
1: it's a kind of, yeah, naivete, very much in American fashion. Um, (laughs) So that said, what how do you see, I guess, Afghan communities? I know this is an an easy question because it depends who you're talking about. But how do you see Afghan communities responding to the prospect of a U.S. withdrawal?
0: Well, I mean, I, again, you know, in it, you will have to study it at, uh, at the local level. In, in a lo- Don't forget in a lot of places the Americans have already withdrawn, places like Gunnar, places like, uh, say, Barlan and uh, you know Kunduz and Wardak. Uh, so, it, you know, for the past uh, couple of years, maybe four or five, it's been the Afghans the Afghan army, the Afghan police, the Afghan special forces that have been doing the fighting. I mean, don't forget that, uh, uh, you know, thousands of Afghan security forces have died fighting the Taliban. And uh, both the Americans and the Afghan government have admitted that, you know, at the rate that the Afghan security forces are dying or being wounded, it's just not sustainable. They just can't keep... A, they just they just can't keep it up so even if you have the money even if the Americans say okay we're going to withdraw but we will continue to fund the Afghan security forces uh, the money may be there but in terms of human lives lost in terms of the ability to then recruit new uh, uh, you know new soldiers and sort of new policemen it's just uh, uh, to me it just seems that we can't keep this uh, we can't keep we can't keep going on at the rate that uh, we are losing lives uh, at some point uh, you know things have to change and uh, yeah so in that sense uh, you know in- the, this this has been going on for a long time
1: right it's been like a gradual withdrawal it's yeah. it's it's, it's ac- right it's it's not accurate to call it a withdrawal now. It's been mm-hmm. kind of a slow-motion retreat over the last several years. Um, yeah,
0: it starts in 2012, remember. Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, what will the consequences be of what, of withdrawing what's left, I guess?
0: Exactly. I mean, we're talking about what, 3,000?
1: Yeah, and then I guess another uh, 6,000 or so, so NATO troops. Yeah, right? yeah. So in totality,
0: much. maybe we are speaking about 8,000 troops who, by the way, are not doing the fighting, who mostly in their bases. They may provide logistical and aerial support, but it's already, you know, for the past, uh, whatever, half a decade, it's been the Afghans doing the fighting, shedding blood and killing.
1: Right. And that's how it's going to continue, I suppose.
0: Well, I mean, mean, uh, we were all hoping that uh, the negotiations in Doha and... uh, now that it sort of spread to Istanbul, would give uh, give us a sort of a political roadmap, and uh, uh, before the Americans withdrew, I mean, there is also criticism of how the Americans managed this whole negotiation process. Uh, I mean, the, they've been criticised for handing too much to the Taliban too early, uh, and already agreeing to withdraw their forces before they had uh, sort of uh, this, uh, a, a political roadmap or a political sort of commitment from the Taliban. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, we are where we are. The Americans are withdrawing. The Taliban already saying we have won the war. And now sort of desperate, desperate attempts to get the Afghans to talk to each other. I remember very recently, I think it was the NATO Secretary General who said, oh, we're leaving and we'll leave it to the Afghans to basically find a way to 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 uh uh to, to yeah to find a sort of a uh what was his exact words? to yeah to basically you know reach some sort of a political settlement and 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 uh, and uh, find a way to peace uh, after 20 years
1: yeah
0: exactly after 20 years and after you know mm, Arming so many militias after, after you know failure to 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 negotiate with with the insurgents and then find a political solution, sort of you basically washing your hands of this conflict and saying you know it's up to Afghans to now find peace, <laughs> and uh, so, I find that very very cynical.
1: So we most associate Pashtuns uh, with the Taliban. How has Christian society changed, and how have the Taliban evolved since two thousand
0: one well that's uh, that's an interesting question because uh, uh i mean my own understanding of, of of the conflict and how it has evolved since two thousand two or three uh uh, the Taliban have, I think, even if you look at the negotiating team in Doha, have demonstrated that they're not just a purely Pashtun phenomena. You know, they're active in Badakhshan, they're active in the north, they are active in the west. So, in that sense, they've been able, even among Uzbeks and Turkmens, uh, surprisingly. Uh, uh, and one of the things that the Taliban have always been, uh, to some extent, quite successful. In projecting, they projected this idea of a uh, of a sort of a non-Pashtun movement, a non-ethnic movement, uh, inspired by Islam, of course. And Islam is a unifying fo- force in a multicultural society like Af Afghanistan. So, f- for the Taliban to call the Taliban a Pashtun phenomenon, I think would be a grave mistake. And and in that sense, uh, you know, that's uh, that's why they, you know, they've been able to to uh, recruit uh, Uzbeks and, and, and Tajiks and, and Turkmen's, and uh, at some point even had allies, you know, among the Hazaras in Central Afghanistan uh, before the Americans arrived. So the Taliban have always demonstrated an ability to. Negotiate to find a common path really with others, uh, and of course, you know, in a conflict when you're the most powerful uh, force, uh, you know, there is always, you know, there will always be others who would be willing to join you, and they may overlook sort of uh, uh, differences or, or, or histories uh, or conflictual histories as, as the Taliban have demonstrated. So, in that sense, uh, uh, it seems to me that uh, uh, as the situation changes, uh, and uh, you know, American and NATO forces uh, withdraw, uh, I think the Taliban will have a quite a. I mean, will have an upper hand, of course, in the sense that uh, they will, they will, uh, uh, you know, lo- there would be quite a lot of local forces uh, uh, that would uh, see uh, it in their in their interest. To ally with the Taliban rather than with the government, and that's my fear. And in in quite a lot of uh, you know, even in previous conflicts, we haven't really seen uh, the kind of decisive victories or or or, 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 or 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 you know, one force overrunning a, a province. It's always been these kind of uh, basically uh, uh, invitations, really, to come in and and and. and and take part, even when the communist government, the uh, government, collapsed in 1992. Uh, uh, I mean, in the common, if you like, uh, the common wisdom is that the government collapsed and the Mujahideen took over. But in reality, for example, when I studied uh, the power relations in Kunduz and Baghlan, the communists were pretty much there. They simply invited the Mujahideen and formed a, a sort of a local shura. Uh, a military shura and an administrative shura, and it was a patchwork. Dostum is a very good example, you know, how he allied with the uh, with the Mujahideen, uh, uh, and then took uh, took over Kabul and and and, uh, uh, and yeah. So in that sense, I think we'll probably see something similar, where the Taliban would enter, in, you know, into. Uh, into alliances with with local forces. They will probably not fight everybody.
1: That makes sense. And I mean, you spoke about some of the changes, I guess. How does that speak to how Afghan society has changed since 2001 as a whole?
0: Well, I mean, there's, you know, the rural Afghanistan where, you know, you've got uh, uh, um, you've got uh, the Taliban. Uh, The Taliban have emerged sort of from 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 the hinterland, if you like, of course it has changed. It has been brutalized, first of all, by the Americans and NATO forces. Uh, and uh, there's been quite a lot of, even in recent years, because of the fighting, there's been a lot of population movements, you know, people... Uh, local people have uh, had to leave their villages and come and camp basically in provincial centers. Recently I did a study of uh, IDPs in uh, Kandahar uh, and I saw that a lot of uh, you know, local uh, uh, farmers had to leave their farms and their homes and, 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 and run to the safety of, the, of Kandahar city where they lived in miserable conditions of course in, in sort of idp camps so there you have that wave of uh, sort of uh, population movements that's happening because the taliban are taking over and uh, and and are attacking sort of uh, remote outposts remote villages remote districts uh so yeah so that's uh, that's already happening uh and of course uh, then there's this it, you know, amazing urbanisation that has happened in these big cities like Kabul, Herat, Kandahar, and uh, and Mazar-e Sharif. Uh, uh, and I mean, I think, I mean, the trouble with Afghanistan is we don't have a, we don't have figures, we don't have sort of uh, reliable figures. But I would say, you know, the vast majority of the population now live in big cities under the government control, and the Taliban may control more territory in terms of, you know, land mass, but in terms of, uh, uh, you know, in, in terms of population and population numbers, uh, vast majority of them uh, are now living in urban cities, and, and they have access to, you know, modern media, have access to health care, it has its problems, but still. You know, access. To, uh, have had access to jobs and opportunities, and there's, of course, there's, you know, there's a large number of Afghans that have have always worked, say, in Iran, Pakistan, in have, are active in the Gulf countries, Turkey, all the way in China. I mean, I have colleagues who are studying Afghan uh, traders, trading networks, from Saudi Arabia to Turkey, China. Uh, uh, you know, this vast a- a- arena uh, is 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 open to uh, to Afghans, and Afghans are actively involved in trading. So, it's uh, it's uh, uh, you know, it's a very complex uh, picture, really.
1: Well, it's a pretty drastic change, like from very rural to city life to a completely different economy. And I guess, like you mentioned before, the. Uh, the sort of nuances of the Taliban and various groups that may ally with them. So in a more broad context, how are non pushtun ethnic groups dealing with the prospect of a return of the Taliban? And Mm. then from there, do you think there's likely to be an escalation of violence between Afghans or even a civil war after this full withdrawal?
0: Yeah. Well, it's an interesting question. First of all, I'd like to correct this impression that, Mm. uh, uh, you know, this kind of, uh, you you said, you know, the country was rural and now there's sort of greater urbanization. That happened long before the Americans arrived. Uh, You know, if you go back and read some of the uh, research that was done in the 1960s and in the 1970s, we already had a period when, you know, uh, more and more people were moving away from, you know, farming and sort of rural economic activities to trade. And uh, so urbanization was already a reality, you know, in quite a, uh, at least in big cities like Kabul, mazar sharif and others. Uh, and there was, of course, Afghans were always active in the region, uh, especially as traders. Uh, mm-hmm. And then of course the Soviet Union, the the, the Soviet invasion and the uh, uh that forced millions of Afghans uh, uh into Pakistan and Iran as refugees changed the dynamics uh, and the return of course also brought in Afghans with, uh, back to the country with new skills, new aspirations, new lifestyles. and I mean, in my own family, people who were living in the villages went to refugee camps in Pakistan. When they returned to Afghanistan, they didn't want to go back to their uh, local villages and be farmers. They wanted to live in cities. They had already experienced the benefits of uh, in a, a urban or city life and and wanted to... Wanted to sort of pursue their opportunities in 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 other areas and other economic spheres. So that's there. That's that's important to point out. Mm-hmm. In terms of the Taliban and you know civil war and you know how the how the non uh, Pashtuns uh, relate to the Taliban. Again, it's very complex. And as I mentioned earlier, if you go to a region like uh, uh, Herat there are non-Pashtun Taliban, so, (laughs) you know, if they come to power, uh, uh, or or, or, or take more territory, does that mean that we are seeing a Pashtun encroachment into the west or the north? Not
1: necessarily.
0: I would say no. no, not necessarily. So, there are already local forces... Be they Tajik or Uzbek or, 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 or Turkmen uh, who shared the Taliban's worldview, uh, and and and, and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, of course, they have uh, uh, Islam, and and and, and uh, uh, you know, they have Islam as a common um, uh, something that that they all uh, sort of. Uh, can find common cause around it. Mm. Uh, uh, And in that sense, uh, I don't, I think we need to be a bit more careful in terms of drawing parallels with the 1990s. And, you know, that once the, after the Soviets left, the government collapsed and then you had a civil war. I think, uh, first of all, the Americans are not necessarily cutting aid as the Soviets did. So, this government might go on for a few more years. And then there's also quite a lot of resolve, uh, you know, among the elites, if you like, uh, uh, the post-2001 elites uh, who've been in power. Uh, You know, they have resources, they have regional allies. So I don't see the sort of Taliban walking into Kabul, uh, uh, you know, in a month or two after the Americans have left. So no. Uh, I don't think we're going to see the kind of collapse that we saw in uh, in the early nineties. Uh, and uh, yeah, so in that sense, uh, I'm not I'm not an alarmist, and I don't want to buy into the sort of alarmist ideas because they're self-serving, primarily for the Americans, because they would l- they would want to present this uh, picture that. You know, we went there, we brought modernity, we brought uh, human rights, we brought, uh, I don't know, uh, sort of liberal politics. Once we leave, it's all going to sink. And because primarily the American generals were using that saying, you know, we should stay here, we should always maintain a footprint because if we leave, then you're going to get a civil war and you're going to get Al-Qaeda coming back. Uh, you know, uh, I think we uh, I think we need to be we need to take those uh, assessments with a bit of uh, yeah, yeah with a bit of skepticism. Health skepticism, I would say.
1: <laughs> That's a very refreshing take because all we've heard in the U.S. media, as I'm sure you've seen, has been this very alarmist. Like, once we leave, you know, Afghanistan is just gonna you know fall into the they like, fall into the ground, and the Taliban's gonna eat it. Um, mm-hmm. That said. What do you think were the flaws of the U.S. negotiations with the Taliban? And how could it have been done better to take into account the interests of the Afghan people?
0: Well, the thing is, I mean, that's a very complex question, and you need to sort of go back to the to the early 2000s, um two thousand one two thousand two remember there was this moment when the Taliban were willing to negotiate, but the Americans were you know they, 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 they said no they, they they were they were hurt this was immediately after September eleventh and they and uh, and they had already invaded Afghanistan you know they were already thinking of now going to Iraq, so they were on a war footing. To re- and I think there was very little appetite for putting a break on that, so they kept on fighting and they kept on uh, uh, you know increasing uh, increasing their involvement military involvement in the region and don't forget you know we talk, we're talking about the American withdrawal from Afghanistan and sort of the ending of the longest war in American history. the American military is present in close a hundred other countries. So this war is not ending anytime soon, even if they withdraw from Afghanistan. So that's, I think we need to, we need to, we need to reflect on that a little bit. Uh, but coming back to to your question, I'm sorry, uh, I uh, I sort of digressed a little bit. Remind me what we were discussing.
1: So, so I was asking you about what do you think the flaws of the U.S. negotiations with oh, yeah, yeah, Taliban yeah. were, and how could exactly, it have been
0: done exactly, better? Exactly. So, as I said, you know, in the uh, in the early period, the Taliban were willing to talk, the Americans were unwilling. Then the Afghan government, around 2008-2009, I remember I wrote a paper. Uh, on the uh, on the sort of peace negotiations at the time, the Afghan government was willing to talk to the Taliban, but the Americans and the British uh, uh, refused, and they said, "No, it's too early. We need to sort of break their back and uh, and and, and uh, sort of uh, downgrade their power before we can talk to them." Uh, so again, we lost an opportunity there. Uh, and then, you know, around uh, 2012, 13, 14, when the Americans started to withdraw their forces, there was another momentum. Uh, 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 but the reason we didn't see much progress is because there was this pretense at the time that we should have the Afghan government in the lead. Uh, and that was an obstacle because the Taliban simply refused to talk to the Afghan government, considering it, of course, as an American puppet. What Trump did, interestingly, is to sort of do away with that pretense and say, OK, if the Taliban don't want to talk to the Afghan government, then we will talk to the Taliban directly. And that, unfortunately, had, uh, you know, had a, a very serious consequences for the Afghan government, as we can see now. It's in a very weak position to negotiate. Uh, even if he keeps uh, it keeps calling on the Taliban saying, "Come to the table, stop fighting, rebuild the country," and the Taliban simply don't take those uh, uh, those invitations very seriously because, uh, you know, why should they talk to the Afghan government when they can talk to the Americans? They they draw more legitimacy from talking to the Americans than they would uh, uh, from talking to the Afghans. So, in that sense. Uh, uh, the biggest, I think, mistake that the Americans made is to sideline the Afghan government and talk directly to the Taliban. Um, and in that sense, the ta- you know, that gave the Taliban quite a lot of international recognition and international prestige, which they have uh, used very effectively. Uh, and uh, and uh, now that, you know, now that, that uh, Americans are calling on the Taliban to negotiate with the Afghans, it just doesn't make sense for the Taliban. Why should they? Uh, so for me, I think that was, uh, I mean, one could argue that to break the stale of it, the, uh, you know, the Americans probably did the right thing by talking to the Taliban. But the way they've sidelined the Afghan government, unfortunately, has uh, made it very difficult for, for the phase that we are in right now, Sort of this intra-African talks and intra-African dialogue, because the asymmetry of power relation is just too 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 stark, uh, and uh, and I am not I'm not sure how how are we going to change that.
1: So I I have to ask you this because this has been such a central part of the discussion. Um, what do you think will happen to civil society and to women in Afghanistan with the U.S. withdrawal?
0: Oh, interesting. Uh, thank you for asking that question because I recently saw <laughs> an op-ed in the New York Times and it sort of uh, made me very concerned because you've got sort of uh, uh, two aspects to this, really. On the one hand, you've got journalists, uh, uh, sort of, if you like, uh, uh, civil society uh, activists and human rights activists who are rightly saying you know are rightly concerned about uh, the american withdrawal and uh, and and what might happen afterwards uh, uh, but that also plays into this kind of uh dynamics where the Taliban are seen as barbarians and the Americans are seen as liberators and for me that's very problematic. Uh, and on the other hand, you've got uh, what I uh, what I call sort of Taliban Talibanologists, those who study the Taliban, who have already uh, abandoned sort of their interest in 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 in, in the Afghan government and in, in researching Afghan institutions and uh, sort of state politics, and have uh, tried to explain and tried to try to really explain the Taliban to the western audience you know that they're running schools and that they've changed that they've, even uh, the 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 term liberal was used for the Taliban in one recent uh, uh, opinion piece so for me that's uh, that's uh, that's interesting but at the same time it also, uh, it's also, uh, you know, it's concern. It, it concerns me because it plays into these kind of dynamics uh, uh, where you know Afghan journalists uh, are leaving the country, seeking, uh, you know, asylum in in the U.S. and and, and Europe because they're for for the right reasons worried that you know the space is shrinking and they cannot uh, they just quite a few journalists have been killed they've been threatened mm, mm, mm. and uh, and that's true and that's a reality um, mm. but at the same time that also plays into sort of this broader broader rhetoric that uh, that once the Americans leave you know there will be no space for African journalists and African civil society and African uh, uh, if you like uh, reformers and uh, and it happens, you know, it has happened in the past, and it will happen now. Not everyone will leave. Some will leave, others will stay. And uh, we all have to wait, you know, we can't predict the future. This is the trouble with the, uh, this is the trouble with this kind of a discussions because we don't really know what will transpire. So some of us will of course uh, you know be alarmed at what we're seeing now. Uh, and may make decisions that may not necessarily be the right ones. And uh, so, in that sense, yeah, uh, uh, you know, I can. I don't want to speak for for my colleagues in Kabul, for my friends in Kabul. You know, I live in the safety of uh, of Norway, uh, so one has to be uh, aware of that. Uh, I don't sort of minimize the, the, the threat that quite a few of them face mm. but uh, yeah it is it is difficult it is uh, tough it is uh, you probably follow the news there has been quite a uh, you know in the past you we will be concerned about suicide bombings you know you were driving you don't know when it's going to happen a car next to you might explode so to minimize that you will you know, restrict your movements. You won't be, you know, you try to avoid uh, traffic jams and, uh, and all that or government buildings. But nowadays, you know, it's the targeted assassinations, they come for you.
1: Mm.
0: And that's difficult. If you are on their list, what can you do? You probably will have to leave the country. And uh, yeah, so that's very terrifying.
1: So what do you think will happen to the current government in Kabul and the Afghan security forces? You spoke, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I guess in a more um, elaborate.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I can't, as I said, uh, you know, I'm I'm a researcher, I study object conditions. I can't predict uh, what's going to happen, say, in the next six months or a year, it but one of but you know looking at sort of uh, uh, the past history uh you know if the if NATO and the american government continues to fund the Afghan security forces uh you know they will remain an institutional factor the, they will not necessarily disappear overnight uh, uh, so we have to see for how long uh, the you know, uh, the Americans and NATO uh, will provide, you know, the five or six, four or five billion dollars that the African security forces need. Uh, so that's one question. And then, in terms of, okay, are we going to see any uh, sort of political movements? Uh, if there is uh, some breakthrough in the negotiations, and uh, then we may not need to keep. Uh, you know, three hundred and fifty thousand security forces. Uh, you know, to fight. Then slowly, slowly, we'll have to think about how to reintegrate. Uh, uh, you know, the insurgents, the Taliban, and other groups. Uh, in terms of uh, what immediately going is going to happen to the Afghan government, I think it will probably continue to stay in the cities, in the major urban centers uh using its police and army and don't forget uh, it, uh the Afghan government has now uh, quite a good uh, special forces uh that they rely on uh, that it relies on uh CIA has its own uh you know uh forces that uh, is never acknowledged but these are also very effective against the Taliban that's the word you hear uh so overnight i don't think uh uh, I, I don't think we're going to see Kabul, sort of, uh, the Taliban uh, entering Kabul anytime soon. You'll probably see a lot of intense fighting around urban centers, quite a lot of, you know, as, as as it happened in Kunduz. You know, one day you'll have the government taking over, the next day the Taliban will overrun it, then the government will again send some forces and get uh, the Taliban to back, uh, back out. My feeling is that you will probably see a lot of that in, mm. in, in, in and around major urban cities. This kind of, uh, you know, back and forth action.
1: Um, do you think Afghanistan can exist as a stable, unified country, um, like experiencing development? And if so, what is needed to make that happen? It's a big question, but...
0: Yeah, and this is an interesting question because... Even despite, you know, all the horrors of the civil war in the 1990s, Afghanistan did stay as a united country. We don't have any sort of successionist movements uh, like the Kurds say in Iran or in Iraq. Uh, if despite all our ethnic differences, I think Afghans uh, are still, uh, uh, and surprisingly, you know, surprisingly, uh, uh, you know, they're very sort of uh, attached to the idea of Afghanistan and the idea of Afghanistan as it exists now. So they will be, of course, jostling for power. There will be, you know, calls for greater decentralization. Mm -mm -mm. And but Afghans have also, uh, you know, shown the ability to coexist. It's an ancient civilization, you know. <laughs> it's uh, I was recently reading uh, some research on sort of the, uh, the early Islamic period of how Balkh uh, in northern Afghanistan was a was a, a, a place for, if you like, uh, rebels who fought the Sassanid Empire. So you know. My Afghanistan is not going to disappear anytime soon, as a geography, and as people you know it will be there you know the Russians left you know the cast of characters will change, and I don't believe in this idea of you know state collapse and and all that because states don't collapse uh, it's a sort of social different kind of social relation and arrangements will have to be cobbled together. Uh, different actors, will. some actors will lose power, others will gain power, and those are the kind of dynamics that we will see. But one of the things that I'm, I'm actually uh, 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 hopeful uh, for is that we will see, hopefully, a reduction in violence, uh, uh, the kind of violence that we see now, uh, and 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 at some point, you know, Afghans will have to find a way to uh, uh uh resolve their problems and 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 uh work out uh, some sort of an arrangement it might not be ideal but uh you know even after the 19 the early 1990s you know when there was great uh, there was quite a lot of violence you know fighting in the streets of kabul slowly slowly even those mujahideen parties managed to uh, talk to each other managed to sort of form Coalition governments—they were not very stable, but uh, nonetheless—and then the Taliban. You know, the Taliban arrived, and at one point it conquered ninety percent of the country. And you know, it was peaceful. It was—it uh, was peaceful. It was—it uh, was there. And then, you know, unfortunately, the Americans arrived. So <laughs> you got a very different dynamics. So we'll have to see. I, I will really have to see what uh, what will happen.
1: And then do you think that regional actors can play a positive role in helping to bring about that sort of peace in Afghanistan?
0: Well, I mean, if you go back to history, our regional uh, actors and our neighbors have never played a positive role, unfortunately. You know, you've got these regional rivalries between Pakistan and India, then the Saudis and the Iranians. Uh, uh, So, it's all there. Of course, the Russians are a major factor here. The Chinese are to some extent. Uh, I think that consensus, uh, uh, there was an international consensus to see some sort of a stability in Afghanistan. I think that collapsed in, you know, around 2012-13. And we've not been able to get that back. Maybe, you know, it was there. Maybe it was all on paper, but at least… That consensus existed. Uh, but now that you know that sort of the major powers are uh, withdrawing and and uh, and are leaving, I think regional competition will increase. and uh, and uh, Afghanistan, because of its geography, because of its position, unfortunately, is in a very weak position to then balance all these various forces. So, there will be greater, I think there will be greater regional rivalries, uh, uh, we'll see greater regional rivalries in the coming years. But one thing that i like to correct on this, this false notion that the Americans left Afghanistan, you know, after the Russians, would do the Americans never left. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, they were always there, they worked for their proxies, you know. Uh, uh, so, the idea that, you know, the the Americans abundant Afghanistan, I think, historically is incorrect. And I don't That's think they will do that terrible. even now. They will continue uh, to have some sort of support, yeah.
1: They never leave. They never really leave. <laughs> no,
0: they don't. No, I don't think so. I mean, they, uh, don't forget that uh, even if they leave, uh, you know, they will still be there in the region uh, and they will probably uh, still find a way to work with local forces be it you know the government or the Taliban within the government i mean the Taliban have also shown an inclination to keep some sort of a uh, you know keep the internationals happy because they would need the money they would need some sort of development aid so i don't think uh, you know i don't think uh, uh, this is sort of Shutting the door and saying goodbye forever because it's not that's not the kind of uh, that's not the kind of future that I see for Afghanistan. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it's an important country. It's important. Uh, it has its uh, importance in the region. Uh, uh, you know the uh, and so yeah, in that sense, uh, uh, we will see a different set of interests, but nonetheless, those interests will will remain.
1: And finally, um, do you think the United Nations can remain in Afghanistan without international forces?
0: Well, don't forget the UN was there before the international forces. The UN will be there after the internationals have left, so the UN doesn't necessarily depend on on on, on the protection of the international forces. The ICRC is there, the, there will be NGOs, uh, uh, and so I don't think uh, everybody's leaving. Yeah, my, see the military actors and the military assets will be withdrawn. But I think in terms of development workers, NGOs, and the UN, I mean, the UN will have uh, to play a very important role, especially if it comes to this kind of uh, complex dynamics where, you know, different uh, groups will have to negotiate and form alliances and some... Some sort of a peace, uh, to patch up some sort of a peace agreement. That's, 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 that's the traditional role of the UN. And I think it would probably, the UN will probably be able to do more now that the Americans are leaving, because quite often the Americans were the problem, eh? when it came mm-hmm. to the UN and it came to sort of, uh, you know, some uh, push for peace and push for some sort of a political settlement. So I think I w- I see a greater role for the UN, uh, to play, yeah.
1: Well, is there any? Are you doing any final thoughts that you'd like to add that I didn't touch on?
0: Well, uh, it's a difficult period for Afghanistan, no doubt, and uh, often, quite often, even. I mean, I live in exile, but you know, your heart is there. Your, it's a country that inspires me. The country that inspires, uh, you know, my academic work. So, I am hopeful i'm hopeful uh, and uh, you know this uh, in the past 20 years there's been enormous changes have happened a whole new generation um, was born and and educated and and have traveled abroad and have formed links with 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 the world and, you know, those links will remain and they are a source of hope for us, a source of hopefully some sort of a national rejuvenation. I believe in that. I don't think the country will simply turn into, uh, you know, as the the popular media describes it, a black hole and a a haven for terrorists. Um, Hopefully we won't see that.
1: Well, hopefully not. Thank you so much, Aziz, for joining me. Um, I really, really appreciate all of your work and your analysis, um, and I do hope that things uh, don't turn into the kind of alarmist uh, talking points that we're hearing. Um,
0: yeah, let's